Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 260. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Kathleen Duffy. And today, Kathleen, I want to talk about a question I heard a lot in my childhood that never sat well with me, and that is, where did you get that idea? Or where did you learn that? And it was always said to me by authority figures with a tone of judgment, and it always made me feel out of place and even a bit singled out for thinking or behaving differently than this authority figure expected me to. But before I get into my past and psychological traumas, where did your mind go when I initially brought this topic to you? When I first heard this topic idea, where did that idea come from, I took it pretty literally. Where did that idea come from? Thinking about it, I realized that our ideas don't come from ourselves. From the moment we're born, we are taking in information and responding to it. Even the language we use is passive, that a thought occurred to me, or I happened upon a thought, that they simply appear. However, what is incredible is that we take these thoughts, these passive, wandering ideas, and develop them. That there exists a co-creative process between our own minds and the world around us, our interactions and noticings. You said it really well, that our ideas don't come from ourselves. And I would say the closest we can get, if at all, to guiding or even gently suggesting where our thoughts should go is an observation, both of our own thought processes, but also of the world. I think it's one reason people really enjoy art and music and any creative pursuits, because when you place yourself in audience with those things, they start to affect how you feel, and in certain cases, how you think. And that can be, I believe, for the better. And that may be why this question, which felt more like interrogation and less like curiosity, really stuck with me in a negative way, because as a child, I was even more detached than most of us are from the origin points of our thoughts. To your remark, I suspect most adults don't entirely know where their thoughts, beliefs, ideas, etc. come from because our lives are very complicated webs. And while they may be less so as children, I don't think we always have the language or the self-awareness to know where our thoughts come from. So that question feels a bit like a conflict we can't resolve. And I also felt, looking back on those moments in my childhood, a degree of shame for something I couldn't control. And also for a resource, that being my mind, of which I've become incredibly proud and grateful, the fact that I have a mind with which to perceive and consider the world is among my favorite parts of life. And while sure, we don't always control our thoughts, questions like this gradually form a wedge between an individual and how they perceive themselves, their thinking, etc. And it won't always be pleasant to think, but I would hope, as a world, as a society, we don't shame people for thinking, which indeed, I should clarify, is not the intent with which these questions were asked, but could be a possible interpretation and might come from an underlying culture which challenges free or independent thought. You're absolutely right about this kind of dangerous nature of this question, because in asking it, and especially in hearing that statement as a child, an interesting power dynamic is created where one's thoughts and the interactions with and potential of those thoughts are immediately subdued. Instead of being a question that 
encourages the investigation of a thought or the development of it, it suddenly becomes a thing of shame. And furthermore, this question imbues a sense that ideas that are unconventional simply do not have a place and are not worth being shared. I'm so happy that you bring up unconventional thought because whether I was an unconventional thinker, am or will be, is somewhat irrelevant. I value and really cherish unconventional thought because it's something new. And frankly, the herd, the mainstream, will always hold tightly to the status quo because that's what it means to be in the mainstream. And I know how hard that can be to let go of or to challenge. And indeed, it's one thing to let go of something and another for your child, let's say, to challenge your ideas, which make up some of the most vulnerable and yet fundamental elements of our identities. And if someone says, I think differently about the world than you do, you might not only feel at odds with them, but somewhat threatened. You used the word danger earlier, and while some people listening to this might say, there's no danger or threat in words and ideas, I would agree with you, but I would add that, in the mind, the human brain perceives a lot of things as threats that are really more discomforts that we place in positions of power. And if this question, where did you get that idea, is asked in the wrong way, it's going to make someone not want to explain their thoughts. It's going to encourage a thoughtless society, or at least one that is not thoughtful, not full of reflective people. And sure, you can spend too much time inside your head, but when I look at our culture, I see the opposite extreme. And maybe other folks have had experiences like I've had, which indeed didn't ruin my life nor ultimately prevent me from trying to think outside the box. But I remember those conversations vividly, and I do think they carry a bit of shame, to use your word. And when I hear that, I think about the ultimate effect that shame has of pulling us away from the herd. When you feel ashamed of something, it's incredibly unlikely that you're going to share that with other people or even spend as much time around others. Because in that feeling, you want to be alone. You want to work through or maybe even push down whatever it is that caused that feeling. And if the root of that cause is your own thought, your independent musings and observations of the world, and how your thoughts congeal out of the ether of your mind, well, now we've got a really big problem because your source of shame is in your head, which is where your entire world exists to an extent. And to me, that's a really dangerous place to be in. I appreciate the points that you just brought up and the fact that what links them together is the plasticity of our world. The fact that our worlds are fabrications and that we ultimately construct the world around us. We choose how we want to see. For the individual who asks the question, where did that idea come from, in the wrong way, it ultimately reflects a lack of not only tolerance, but of graciousness and a lack of willingness to learn, to be challenged which is problematic on many levels, and I think is a reflection of many of the problems we see today and the fact that we refuse to listen to any ideas, to value any ideas, aside from those that represent our own. And unfortunately, for the individual who is asked, where did that idea come from? They are taught to do the same, to listen only to their camp. And in this process, we begin to lose value not only for ideas that others hold, but also for the individuals who hold such ideas. 
that in a refusal to listen to ideas that challenge us and scare us and force us to look at our own worlds through a different angle, we lose respect for those people. And as we talk about people or individuals, a thread that runs underneath this topic for me is this implication of intellectual independence, and that if you can trace your thoughts or ideas back to someone or something, it makes more sense to the people you're speaking to, because they too can see the process. But as you remarked earlier in the conversation, that's not really how thoughts work, and they don't have a clear or linear path even in some cases where we try to describe them to the world or to ourselves. And I see a hazard in this perception of intellectual dependence because, though no idea may ever be new, if we believe ideas can only come from previous sources, we will always be tethered, logically, to those previous sources. And someday you may meet someone who thinks differently than you, but I think a lot of us would say, I don't understand you, you must fit into a pre-existing box of thought. Where could your thoughts come from if not one of these boxes I already understand? And that limits our ability to empathize and to expand our own understandings of things. And when I look back at my circumstance as a child, I wish I hadn't been taught that lesson. Because when you're young and growing, I would hope you are excited about all the people who exist around you and all you have to learn from them. The tie you make between empathy and the ideas we hold or others hold is a very important one. And I think that while we can't exactly trace our thoughts often, that it is important to take the time to reflect on the multitude of effects that might have contributed to such a thought. We've spent a lot of time discussing the creativity of thought and the value of the thoughts we hold and what they can become. However, I think it's also important to recognize the dangers of certain thoughts, especially when we don't know where they come from. For one example, racist beliefs one might hold that didn't just pop up one day, but rather were created over a period of time. And the way that through a certain way of being raised, that ideas quickly become character and inspire certain actions we commit against one another, actions of cruelty or hate which is especially dangerous because we often don't know how to correct those attitudes, that character. And unfortunately, because of a lifetime of ideas, we often don't know how to correct such attitudes. And the process of sharing our own ideas seems to be futile. These remarks lead me to the belief that thinking is a personal process done using interpersonal objects and resources. We may not be in control of our circumstances, but we do have some agency in how we process and address them. And there's a lot of interconnectedness throughout this topic and, of course, in our thinking lives. But I really appreciate your point that there are ideas out there that are not only confusing or difficult, but touched by hatred and hostility, things that make our world harder or impossible to inhabit. And while some of us don't want to understand the thoughts of those who exhibit hateful behavior, I do think if you are able to get to the root of why they think in a hateful way, they might even admit, well, I got this idea from someone who, now that I think about it, was rather negative and unhappy throughout their lives, hateful towards this group of people for this reason that, also now that I think about it, I don't have substantial evidence to back up. 
and that person might, as a result, reconsider their own hatred and improve their lives. But we are not challenged, at least with any consistency, to look at our own thoughts. And when we are by other people, as in this example, it doesn't seem to come from a genuine or constructive place, but rather one of judgment. And I'm not saying that any of this is easy, but I do think if this question were asked more sincerely, it would be a really valuable one. The question certainly does have a lot of potential. It doesn't have to be a question that immediately presents judgment and ultimately disrespect, both for the idea and that person. It is important that we create an environment in which we share these ideas with generosity and respect. The core of this environment is ultimately made up of vulnerability, a willingness to be challenged and recognize that while our world might shift, it won't fall apart. And that although an idea might challenge us, scare us, or maybe even hurt us, we can still treat the other person with dignity. And that it is through mutual respect of the person that we then become less attached to our ideas and notions that we hold about ourselves, others, and the world around us. And it is here in this space that we have the power to create that we ultimately begin to allow ourselves to be more fluid, to live less within the boxes that we formed around ourselves, and to reach across the aisle to the other side, to our neighbors who we often see as strangers. Oftentimes, I find that in condemning ideas, we also condemn people, that there exists a life that we immediately see as unworthy. And to me, it seems that we need to find a way to not love each other's ideas, but to love each other. And Kathleen, on that compassionate note about listening, as if to plant seeds for our audience, what would you like them to consider after listening to this conversation? I would like us all to take a moment to think about the ideas that we ourselves cling to and how those ideas might prevent us from listening and understanding others. I would also like us to take a moment to realize how compassionate of an act listening is and that in quieting our own voices, people might quiet theirs as well. In approaching others in a tone which listens with respect and an intent of understanding rather than responding how we might begin to solve our problems and divisions in a more efficient way. And as this conversation revolved around ideas, only some of what we experience and perceive as human beings, I'm really curious to know if the word feelings replaced ideas here, how would that change the conversation? And if someone asked you, where did you get that feeling? Would that be an easier question or a more difficult one? If you personally take the time to ask yourself both of these questions, how do they differ in your response? And does one feel more illuminating than the other? But of course, as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we certainly aren't the only two people who have ideas, wherever they might come from. And so we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook, you can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you'll receive exclusive perks like bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark, signing off. And I'm Kathleen Duffy. Go in peace and conversation.